0: Uh, One morning, it's a Saturday, so it's a weekend, and I hear all of this this commotion in the bathroom downstairs, and I'm like, (sighs) like splashing, and I'm like, oh God, like one of the cats fell in the toilet or something like that. So I go over, I rush over, you know, I don't want to drown or anything like that, and I pop my head in, and there is a large black wing sticking up out of the toilet, and my whole world kind of went sideways for a moment. Like, I am not seeing this. Like, what am I looking at right now? And for a moment, I, like, I was just completely stunned by this. And then, But then, it, like, it dawned on me. I'm like, holy shit, there's a bird in the toilet. Um, and, like, I, I kind of freaked out. I'm like, I don't want this thing to fly out and, like, come and get me or whatever. So, like, oh, I put the, I closed the lid and I close the door to the bathroom. And I step back and I'm like, holy shit, like, what do I do? And then the total, like the sheer weirdness of this, struck in the way that I was like, "How did that thing get in there?" Because you know, like it's not like the door was open and this thing flew in. And after, like after we finally sort of took care of the situation, I did kind of come to to like a thinking like, "I suppose it could have come in through the vent pipe," but this would have meant like this was like the vent pipes were you know it's you know like two inches of pipe like a like a diameter. Um, and for this thing to have fallen in, it would have had to, like, have squirmed downwards through, like, 50 feet of, like, tight PVC. And then, like, however much of it is, like, because, you know, like, your toilet, like, the plumbing for the toilet that actually connects to sort of, like, all of the drainage pipes, like, that's, like, six feet of standing water. So this thing would have then had to have squirmed its way through a network of pipes. Through six feet of just water contained in these in these pipes, and then up into the like just the, the the likelihood of this happening in a very natural way just seemed as outrageous as this thing just apparated in the toilet. Like I just I couldn't believe it. So eventually, what happened was <laughs> I'm like, okay, so I've got a plan. I'm gonna. You know, i got like gloves, I've got like all these like plastic bags from like, uh, uh, like the grocery store. I'm, like I'm going to get this thing, I'm going to get it in my hands, I'm going to take it outside and let it go. And so at one point it got real quiet and I go and I lift up the toilet and it's just sitting there looking at me. And I'm like, like not dealing with that right now. And so eventually I was like, I, I kind of got the confidence to do it when I opened up the toilet. This happened, and I swear, this happened in the span of like 15 minutes. So like when I first found it it was a perfectly healthy bird. When I saw it that second time it was just calmly sitting there and then when I finally went to deal with it I opened it up it was dead. But it's dead of winter when this happened and there's not a lot of birds around like there there this was like a like a crow that that did this. It wasn't, you know, it was a big black bird that had managed to somehow do this. It was so Weird. Like I've still, I still think
1: about it from from time to time. Can I check something real quick, Brian? Yeah, Hold sure. Hold on one second. Yeah. Here. Uh, as you were telling that story, a bird hit my window. No!
0: <laughs> oh my god.
1: I'm Jim Perry, and this is Euphemed. A show about the unknown and our relationship to it. This time, we look into the darkness, only to find we're staring right back at ourselves. Next on Euphemet. Order is when our perception of the world around us aligns with consensus reality, a state that some believe is fluid a thin veil separating us from it, the vast unknown. But what if that divide is skin deep, stretched over the bones of something much older, something that looks a lot like you? Long before Brian found occultism and started practicing magic, his sense of order as a child was disrupted by events in shadow and pitch black. Apparitions, welcoming him to a more liminal space, and that thin divide, peeled back to reveal something so much weirder than everyday life.
0: This takes place in in 1986, and um, it's... Summer, it's probably like really right around the time where the, you know, the beginning of summer turns into the end of summer. And I have been, I've been spending a lot of time with uh, with a kid from, uh, like just from around town. We we had, we did Cub Scouts together. We did, we were on the same baseball team. His name was Eric. And we uh, like, we like, we just, we ended up bunking together at like this Cub Scout camp at the beginning of summer. So after we went home, we, we just continued to, to hang out. Like we played, uh, we had little league games together. Uh, we were on the same baseball team. Like we just, it just kind of, things just kind of coincided in, in ways that just put us together. So we just were hanging out all the time. You know, some kids straight out of fourth grade going into being wild in the summer. And uh, it really was kind of that, that Stranger Things vibe where like I would wake up and kind of, you know, have breakfast and hang around a little bit, and then I would get on my bike and I would just ride downtown, and like that would be like the last time my parents saw me until I got home. Marblehead's a very, uh, a very nice piece of sort of colonial New England. Um, if you're ever in the in the in the area, if you're ever down towards like Salem or Danvers, it's like a town over from Salem, um, and I, I recommend a visit. It's very it's very pretty, and it's very very much New England. And it's also very, very densely populated. And it's so big, in fact, that um, there are three elementary schools. At the time, Eric and I went to a school called Coffin School. Um, And then sort of toward the middle of town, there was Bell School. And then there was, at the other end of town, there was Glover School. And these schools tended to be pretty tribal. So, like... Just because you lived in town with these kids, like you might not, there's there you might run into kids you've never seen before. We rode our bikes down to uh, this this news shop called Howard's that I don't think is there anymore, Um, but it's right down in the middle of like the downtown area. There's the bank and Howard's a pizza place, and uh, it's like there was a movie theater. It was kind of like the the cultural hub of the town. We go. We look at like uh, comic books and Mad Magazine. And then after we're done there, we ride a little ways up the street to uh, the YMCA, which also I don't think is there anymore. But it's like, like right up the road, like we could walk our bikes up to it. And right next to that is a sort of memorial park where there's like a, there's like an obelisk with uh, just sort of like the names commemorating like people from town who have like died in wars. And there's a bunch of kids hanging around there and Eric recognizes one of them. And, uh, from, from hockey, but he's one of the kids from one of the other schools and I didn't, I didn't know him. I was kind of a small, like very timid and shy kid at the time. So he goes up to him and is just like, Hey, what's happening? Like very, like he was a very outgoing guy. Um, while I, I hung back. And so the two of them talk and they're with like, he, his hockey friend is with like three other kids who I later found out were from Glover school. Um, and they were they were very much invested in this kind of like marblehead tribalism, and so they did not take to us coffin school kids. They were kind of rude, but at a certain point, like the conversation is like, "Hey, what are you guys doing? What are you, like where are you going? You got any plans? Like what's what's happening? What's going on today?" And we we just kind of shrug. And the three kids uh, from Glover are like, "We should go to the bomb shelter." Like they're like, "You you guys you guys ever been there?" And I like we're just like, "What?" what is the bomb shelter and they get kind of conspiratorial about it where they're like, Oh yeah, we're going to go to the bomb shelter. We'll take them. We'll show them like, you know, rubbing their hands together and stuff like it's very cartoonish in the way that I remember it. So we, uh, we get on our bikes and we, we ride across town towards, um, basically towards, towards the the baseball fields that we played at. And, um, there's a spot where it, it looks like, like a, tr- like a, train, like a train track, like a bed of train tracks ran through town. Um, but the, the train tracks aren't there, but like the landscape is still very much in the shape that suggests that it was. And it's a big, like wide area uh, that kind of goes off into like this kind of like forested area that runs the length of uh, that, that little patch, Wyman, Wyman Woods. And so we, we get off, we, we walk our bikes down this kind of like Patch of of trail until we come to an area where there's like um it's like a break in the in the side of the uh, in the side of the trail it's like a trailhead heading towards you know like a you know hiking trail so we walk our bikes up the trail a little ways eventually it opens up um, to like a sort of like a circular clearing that uh, there's just you know wall of trees on the side the rest of the kind of forested area, like off beyond the, the sort of perimeter of this, of this clearing and there's grass, but in the middle of it, there's a hole in the ground. It, it's kind of framed off with like a, a, a square of two by fours that have been nailed together. So it looked like a window. And uh, sticking up out of it, it looks like there's like a ladder, like you can see the tops of the uh, of the ladder and a little a little sign that says, like, do not enter, like just, you know, black, like red on black kind of tossed to the side as if to <laughs> warn people away from it. But we all like as the, from the moment that we, we entered into the to that little trail, once we like got off the, the, the main path. Nobody really said anything and it got real quiet and we just kind of walked in silence. And so now we're all just like staring at this hole in the ground in silence. And one of the kids just goes for it. He goes over and he starts to kind of descend through like through this little opening. All six of us just kind of wordlessly go down into this space. And once like I get on the ladder, I'm immediately kind of stricken with fear because it's it's a, definitely a ladder, but it looks like it, it's very very cheap. But it, it like kind of like moved underneath my weight, and so I was like, oh shit! Like this thing, it'll be just my luck that this thing collapses under me, and we're all gonna be stuck down here. And I get down, we touch down, and it is it is dark. Like it is prof- like dark in a very in a profound way that I have not really experienced since then. So there's just really, it's just me and these five other kids standing um, on the dirt floor of this chamber. And uh, I, you know, it's dirt floor. I put my hand out at one point and I feel the wall and the wall is dirt as well, like hard packed, but also it feels like it's been worked, like it's planed. It doesn't kind of have that sort of uneven feeling that you might expect, like somebody had worked on this. And, like, right next to me is a, like, it looks like a shelf somebody had, like, carved out. And on it are these little, like, it's, the light's dimmed down here, so it's hard to see. But I see, like, half a dozen of these, like, little white stubs resting on it. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? So I go and I kind of reach over and I touch it and I kind of pick one up. And I have to kind of pry it off of the, off of the shelf. And I realize that I'm holding, like, the stub of a candle. And then, like, I kind of, like, feel around and there's, like, a book of matches there as well. But... It's soaking wet, like this is right below the opening and it has been rained on. So this any these, these candles are completely useless in this uh, in, in this instance. And so eventually they're like, well, I hear one of the kids go, OK, well, let's let's walk, walk down a little bit. And so we kind of like single file move. And eventually there's like a like a door, basically. But it's just it's really just a door shaped opening in the wall that's been carved out, and so we go in, and it just kind of narrows around us, and we walk, I don't know, six feet through it, and it opens up into another chamber, but now that we're, like, removed from that single, like, shaft of light coming from the sun, it's, like, real dark, Um, and I can really only make out vague outlines of all of us, and they keep, but they keep walking and we go through another door that's just like the one that we went through, and it opens up into another chamber, and now it is, it is so dark, you can like touch the darkness. Like it is thick darkness. It's so, it's, it's, it was, it was very strange. Vision was completely useless in this this space. You just heard everybody kind of like shuffling around. And uh, eventually one of the kids is like, well, I can't see shit, so, like, let's get out of here. And so they all kind of turn around and we go back the way that we're going. Um, and as we, uh, so so yeah, like I'm this, at this point, I'm the last person in line. Like I have just fallen in that position. But we enter into the second chamber and as we get towards the door heading heading out, like the light is starting to come to me a little bit more. Like I can see a little bit better. And we're crossing through that, like that second hallway to go back into the main chamber that we came into and something really, really strange occurs to me in that moment as I'm looking ahead of me and I can start to see there are way too many kids ahead of me. Then like we, there are like three more people in this line walking out than we came in with. And it was, it wasn't like a trick of the light. It wasn't my imagination. Like I was nervous, but I wasn't like hallucinating or anything like that. I, I, I very clearly counted, like, three, like, there were nine of us now. And the thing was, is there was nothing really strange about these other kids. Like, they looked like us. They had hairstyles consistent with, you know, with with ours. They were wearing clothes, you know, from what I could tell. They looked like us. And then once we got to the ladder and I could really see, like, that that blood runs cold feeling you sometimes get, like, really came over me because I was definitely looking at eight kids when there should have been there should have been five ahead of me and I watched them all ascend the ladder like all three of them and I'm just like what is going on right now like how is this happening I'm the last one and, it, and like it was it was like they were sort of like up there with the Glover school kids so there was a bit of a gulf between me and them in the sort of the ladder order so I I climb up the ladder like kind of like I'm not really sure what to expect when I get up top. And when I come out the top, all I see are the other five kids. Like, whoever those three kids were, they're not there now. I didn't say anything to anybody. Like, I was, I was like, we everybody was really quiet and I was already really kind of on edge anyways. And then like, yeah, we, we walked out of the woods, we got our bikes and we rode back downtown and like, after like after we went back to the Memorial Park, those, you know, the, the four kids that we had we had gone out there with were like later losers and and kind of beat it. And so me and Eric went back to his house and just ah, I think we just like played Atari for a little while. We didn't really say much. And then all at once he looks at me and he's like, we got to go back there. I was like, yes, we absolutely do. what the hell And I still didn't say anything about the other kids I've never I've I never mentioned that to, to anybody but the people that I tell this this story to if you look at if you look at maps of, of Marblehead, it's very densely populated and there's not really a lot of forested area in there like there's Wyman woods and then like towards the other side of town there's kind of like a wetlands preserve but like, They have put a house or condominiums or duplexes on any amount of, on any space that's not like in the historical record, like that they legally can't tear down. Like it's, it's a very overdeveloped like town. And so uh, we, we walked up and down the trail for a little while, trying to sort of like suss out where, where it was. And then eventually we just put our bikes on the side of the trail and walked in and just kind of like walked back and forth across the, you know, across forested area. And we never found it. We were like mystified by this because like we spent like a couple hours out here like looking for this thing. And like I said, it's not a whole lot of, of, of real estate to explore. Like it was like, what the hell? Like there is no way that we are so wrong that like this was on the other side of town and like. You know, like just, just we couldn't really make sense of it. So after a couple hours of just sort of like searching and being completely puzzled, we get on our bikes and we ride back downtown. And his idea is maybe they're gonna, maybe those kids will be there, and we can just ask them where it is. And uh, sure enough, we go to Memorial, to that monument park where we saw them the day before, and the three of them were there, but his hockey friend was not this time. He approaches them. And it's like, hey, what's up? And they look at us kind of weird. Like, can can I help you? And so they're like, they're like, what? Like, what do you want? And he's like, so, like, where was that? Like, where's that bomb shelter that you took us to? Because like, we went down there and walked around the woods for a while. We couldn't find it. And like, one of them was like, what are you talking about? Like, who are you guys? Like, they started to get really, like, they were they were kind of freaked out. And then one of them is starting to be like, You need to get out of here, or I'm gonna kick your ass. Like, it's his attitude is very much like that. And, like, thinking back on it, like, if they were messing with us, they were doing a really good job of it. They did not know us and they did not recognize us, they did not know what we were talking about. He and I kind of like shrink away, like, Yeah, okay, yeah, okay, see you, whatever and like we and and we we talked about it a little bit more we we i think we went and we looked one more time um like the on the next weekend but like after that we just kind of gave up and we're just and and we and we never spoke of it again the end of the summer, my parents moved us uh, from Marblehead up to to around to where I live now. That was like at the end of the summer, like about a month later was like the last time I, I saw Eric. And so, um, yeah, like I never really had anybody to, to tell about this. It is it is a thing that I have I, I think about a lot like I have I have like when when Google Maps became a thing and you could actually sort of like look at the um, like look at the overhead, you know, photography. I scanned the the like the landscape of Marblehead like pixel by pixel trying to find anything that could have indicated that this thing existed um but I never I never found I never found anything But years later like in the 90s I was dating a girl um who liked to just kind of like go off on adventures and so we drove down we parked at the at the at the baseball field and walked or uh, you know walked around to Wyman Woods and sure enough like Nothing, no trailhead. Nothing. We poked around in the in the woods a little bit. Like, absolutely no sign of this. I've never turned, I've never turned this up, and I've never, uh, I've never spoken to anybody who ha- who has any idea uh, uh, of what I'm what I'm what I'm talking about. As an adult, I'm like, I know, like I've been to mines, and there's like supporting structure. Like, they build, you know, there's, like, timber wood, like, frames to hold up the ground so it doesn't collapse on you. There was nothing like that under here. I felt no such sort of support structures. It was literally, like, this. It was several rooms that were tall enough to accommodate, like, a a bunch of, like, 10-year-old kids um, with plenty of headroom over us. And thinking about, like, the descent, like, walking down into it, like, if... If my, like, sort of, like, mental image of this is correct, then the amount of actual, like, dirt between the ceiling of the chamber and the floor of the forest above us couldn't have been anything more than, like, nine inches. So how the hell is this thing even staying up if there's nothing to hold it up? Like, this should have collapsed at some point. Like... So that's why I think about it and I'm like, I don't know if I actually went to a place like I think that in some way, like we went, we went somewhere, we went down into this hole and then the place that we emerged from was not the same place that we went into the hole from you know like like we crossed dimensions or something. I don't I don't really know how else to explain it. Or the especially the part where we ran, where we ran into those kids and we were certain. Like I mean we spent you know a couple hours with these kids the day before, so it wasn't like we were mistaken. It was them and they did they had and and they had no clue who we were. So it was just so weird.
1: Along the way, Brian was never quite alone a familiar face emerges from the shadows. Whenever, seen,
0: whenever you seem, whenever you have a lot of people, they talk about like, um, I, I went to a place and it was, you know, and I came out into this kind of like magic wonderland or, or in my case, like we just went this place, and we came back and things were different. It's always, I went underground. There's so much of that, like going into the underworld and coming back, you know, either in a metaphorical sense or, you know, an actual sense. Like I went into like a cave in Kentucky and saw, you know, the the mammoth cave system. And then I saw some goblins, you know, like it's it's always in like a cave sort of scenario. It's very strange. When I was 16, maybe I was 17, it was myself and two friends who um we were, we were walking, this is in, in New Hampshire at this point, and we're walking along some train tracks. And it's super, super late at night. And up ahead, there's like an overpass. And so there's like the train tunnel that the train would pass underneath underneath the road by, with a single light, like kind of like hanging, hanging over the tracks at the far end. And it's in kind of a nasty part of town. Like you... You're right on the edge of kind of like, uh, like housing projects that kind of have a, have a reputation for, for like people getting their asses kicked and stuff. Like it was definitely not the sort of place that we wanted to run into a couple of people emerging from, you know, the, the underside of this, this overpass. And so like, that's what happened. And so we're about, I don't know, like a quarter, a quarter mile out from, from this. And we see like three people come out from underneath the overpass, um, on the other side of the tracks. And so we're walking along. Each one of us is like, Oh shit. And one of my friends is like, Hey, just, you know, like just look at your feet. Like, don't say anything. Don't look at them. Like, don't like no eye contact. Don't, don't do anything. You know, like, let's just, let's mind your own business. And as they get closer and closer and closer, like I cannot resist, like taking a look. And so they're, Right on the other side of the tracks at this point, And I look up and I look across and I go, I just about go insane in the moment because what I'm looking at is myself looking at me and my two friends with their heads down, walking on the other side of the tracks in the opposite direction. I kind of like, I saw like my breath caught and we kept walking and eventually we get to the underside of the, of the overpass and we stop. I light a cigarette. <laughs> my friend goes, I just saw the weirdest thing. You guys, um, I saw myself and you two, uh, walking on the other side of the tracks and I go and I like, I like, I freaked out and I was like, oh my God, that's just what I saw. Except it was me looking at me. And the other guy was like, holy shit, you guys, this is this is insane. Now, it should be noted that at the time, the three of us had eaten had eaten mushrooms. Anybody who's who's partaken of psilocybin mushrooms will tell you like even these like magnificent, like gigantic Terence McKenna doses will tell you like that's not how that that's not how that drug works. Like that's not how any psychedelic works like you don't. With with the exception of maybe DMT, like there's the they, you don't have that kind of like vision where, you know, you see a full like apparition of a person, like you it just it, that's not how it works. It just messes with your with your your understanding of of, you know, with your thought patterns and the way that you kind of process stimulus. Like, it, but you do not have those kind of like full body hallucinations. So for the three of us to have this like shared moment. Um, in this wildly altered state of consciousness blew my mind. And we would, we would tell, we would spare no opportunity to tell people about that, but it's not lost on me in the same time that this happened in a place where like they emerged from underneath something. Like they came out of this like liminal space of, of just a, you know, like a, like a train, uh, like overpassing like a train tunnel it was so, it was so strange, but yeah.
1: Well, and, and the, the reoccurrence of three, you know the three kids that came crawling out of the the bunker right and then the three of you and the three of them i had not
0: even considered that uh that that quality but um what, you know like anybody who's really kind of looked who who's looked at the occult in any kind of pr- any kind of way uh the number 3 it factors heavily into uh particularly in the western esoteric tradition you know Three is constantly appearing in um in in, in magic. Uh it's that's why that's wild. I'd never even really thought about that. The uh like 2016 was really kind of uh kind of a flashpoint for me. A couple of years prior to that, like one of my oldest friends uh died. He'd he'd committed suicide uh, in, uh, like a pretty grisly way that fucked with me in a very fundamental sense. Like this, like I, I like, you know, grandparents and my, you know, have died and stuff like that. Like I have definitely sort of like faced mortality in that sense, but this was the first time that somebody who was sort of like directly in my social circle had sort of come to the end and that just kind of broke something in me in a way that, um, put me into kind of like a, just a tailspin. And for the next couple of years, I was really sort of hell-bent on self-destruction. Like this was, I just couldn't figure it out. Like life was not happening for me. After kind of bottoming out, I came out of a, uh, you know, there was a little bit of a hospital stay. And I came out of the hospital and I was like, I need, I need something. Uh, to help me kind of get through. And so I was I was really kind of struggling at first because for a long time, I had really kind of been like, um, just a, kind of like a materialist atheist type. And I was like, you know, this is all there is and it's bullshit. And like, we just kind of got to white knuckle it until, you know, un- until the end, like a real, really kind of grim outlook on life. At the same time, I had been attending like... um AA and NA meetings to sort of like, you know, just 12-step stuff. I didn't really like, really like AA very much. I liked NA way better. Um, and in the process of that, like the second step uh of these of these programs is um sort of like recognizing that there's a higher power. Um and in Narcotics Anonymous, that's way more of a sort of nebulous concept. In AA, it's very much. God, you know they they do the Lord's Prayer at the end of it, and and you know it's it, it definitely has a very particular spiritual cast to it. Narcotics Anonymous is way more like loose with it, like they use the the framework of it, but it's not like you know find find save you know salvation in Jesus that that sort of thing. So um, eventually, I did kind of like I went in there, and the second step is the part where you you recognize that you know there's there's a higher power, and it's not that you're just. Surrendering to a higher power—it's—it's it's, what you do is you take this burden you've carried, and you hand it off to something bigger than you. Finding something that that in your life that's like a bright light above you, God, whatever goddess, however you want to characterize that, for junkies is really really hard thing to do. And uh, uh, but when I eventually, I started to kind of maneuver in the space, find something that I could be kind of cool with. And eventually it kind of took shape um, into uh, uh, some of, like this started to coincide with uh, with the, the the chaos stuff that I was working with. It was kind of around wintertime, and so the star Sirius and Orion are kind of over the horizon up here. And so I'd done something where I was sort of like signaling to Sirius. I'm like, I need a sign like this. I feel like I'm just running in place here. Like, give me a sign. And so I kind of like tuned my work towards that. And um, in the moment, and it might have, you know, it's probably just me, but like in the moment, like the stars uh, twinkles very Uh, very, very definitely, like you look up at it and it's definitely like pulsing and, you know, you can see the blues in it if you spend enough time looking at it. But in the moment that it did that, all of a sudden it was like, pow, for a second, just a split second where it hit a little harder. And I was like, okay, 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 I'll take it. I'll take it and I'll work with that. And then that night I went home and I had a dream that um, after basically saying like, reveal yourselves to me and like uh, you know all of all of that that kind of re- ridiculous stuff I had this dream that um I was just sitting um like in on you know in a field looking at the sky and I look up and there is a classic like George Adamski flying saucer but it has like a shiny shiny mi- mirrored surface to it okay cool like that's the sign I'll take that you know from that moment on, I started to kind of feel like this was actually starting to flow and things were starting to move. It was like a, like I'd been frozen all this time and I started to kind of thaw out and the, and the water started to move. But like it was that point after that experience. And since a lot of this stuff does does tend to kind of happen to you in dreams or in these very strange states of consciousness, that was like I just I just took it. I accepted it in that moment that like this was this was the time that it finally, you know, it, it was starting to work for me. And weird stuff starts happening in the house. Um as all of this was happening, it was like a, it was almost like an escalation of chaos was taking place in the house. And it struck uh worst when uh, my son started having uh like out of nowhere, he started having seizures. Um And it was, yeah, it was a very, very bizarre kind of, like, way for it to happen, and it just, it led to, like, two years of just hospital visits and stuff. He, like, he lived at the hospital for, like, a couple of weeks. It was, it was, it really sucked. And to this day, like, I mean, he's fine. You know, he, he, he recovered, and we went through the whole thing, and he has been like, a couple, yeah, it's been a couple of years, like, seizure-free, but... Um, uh, yeah, like in that moment I was like, mm. like, and I, I, and maybe it's just like, you know, parents trying to find a reason. Cause it was one of those things that it was like very medically mysterious. Like there's no history of this sort of thing happening to our, to either side of our family. It was just kind of spontaneous. And I suppose that things like that do happen from time to time. Um, and it might just be like a parent's inclination to just sort of like, uh, take the, take on the burden of like, Here's the thing, but like it it just it fell into place in such a way that it was like, like I was just I was doing a lot of like really weird stuff at the time. And then it happened at the, it was sort of like the zenith of all of the high strangeness that occurred around the house. And so it was at that point where I was like, OK, I, I need like I need to keep doing this. But if it's going to sort of like, you know, go everywhere and get on everybody around me, like I need to find a more like a more like a more reliable way to go about it. That's that's how eventually I made the, I made the switch. This happened and it it struck my, you know, my life in a way that I wasn't really anticipating and I was like, okay, If I'm going to continue to do this, like I can't do it this way. I have to do something a little bit more formal, something that is a little bit more established. And so I moved into like more like, more traditional like Golden Dawn ceremonial type stuff. You know, people think of like Mathers and Crowley. But then like once I got rid of the sort of desire to manifest and started to like move away from the stuff that was causing all the crazy shit to happen. Like the reason that I moved into something a little bit more ceremonial is because it was, it's really about the internal practice. It's not like I'm going to wave my arm around and say all the words and get money and, like, get jobs and get, you know, like, like the stuff, if you ever go to Salem, like, every book on every shelf in every witch shop is like, find love with magic, find money with magic, get the perfect job with magic. Like, I have no interest in that stuff whatsoever. The, uh, like one of the, like the big, like like they call the magnum opus, you know, the, the great work that they're always talking about in, in magic is for a lot of people. It's to sort of like unite your earthly self with this sort of like perfect spiritual self. It's like a version of you that exists, you know, in the above part of the uh, above below relationship, um, and it, they call it like not like it's called a bunch of things, but most commonly it's called knowledge and conversation with the Holy Guardian Angel. And so a lot of people, including myself, like my main mission for all of this is to sort of unite with that being, because then you know, the 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 sort of implication of this is you sort of re reintegrate into the Godhead. The the sort of uniting with that self, sort of bringing the two yous together um, into a kind of united presence. But for me, the way that this sort of presented itself was, uh, there's the man in the cave for me. And it was not really discovered by me. It was uh, sort of found by a woman who I had, uh, I, I had visited her. She was a shaman of sorts. She did a thing that, uh, she called, uh, like soul retrieval. It's got a different name these days, but that was what it was called at the time where she sort of goes into this kind of uh, weird sort of altered state and sort of finds these little broken off pieces of you that you kind of do a, do a little like it was a psychiatric thing really kind of kind of like a, a mental health well like wellness thing but all at the end of it she gets like swept up and like pulled along and uh, uh, across this like flying across this like vast field of grass where she comes upon a cave and she came back and told me that the back of this cave was a man who looked like me um, but like robed and, you know, very, very wizardy. Um, and he had like a, a crow and an owl with him. She's like, so those are your spirit animals. And I was like, badass. And so uh, she's like, it's so he told her some things and she brought it back to me and her and her message was basically like, you need to like reach out to this person and like and like bring him out or either go to him Whatever it is, but it's just like it's this piece of me that's like very important, but it's like at the back of a cave. And so for me, that's always sort of been the thing that I'm always referring to where it's like, okay, that's that's the holy guardian angel. That's the part of me that I need to reunite with. So I've got to go into the cave or I got to bring him out. However, it happens. It would have been very helpful if you told her how you do such a thing, because I have no idea. And he has not hesitated to sort of reveal himself to other people along the way, either in fullness of person or like, you know, in, in weird sort of like psychic projections or little hints from here to there.
1: Well, he tried to send you a crow to let you know the the information and he closed the lid on it. Yeah. Oh God, the yeah, the metaphor is
0: just so brutal. And I went, no, and closed the, yeah, closed the toilet seat on it and the door, you know, but uh oh God. But like, I, it's just like, that's the, that's probably the one thing that really kind of keeps me coming back to, to all of this is like, no matter how, how seriously you take it, that those, those synchronicities, the strangeness that occurs to sort of like, let you know that this is all happening. It happens in fucking silly ways.
1: Thank you for listening to this edition of you this feature was edited and scored by John McEdward. Thank you to Brian for his story. Brian is a listener of UFAMet, and you can have your story featured too. Reach out at jim at ufamet.com. Thank you to our sponsors, AMC Network's Shudder and BetterHelp. For everything Euphamet, including how you can subscribe to the show, links to our Patreon and social media, visit ufamed.com And for even more, check out Night Drift, it's our weekly radio broadcast discussing Euphemet and hosting panels on topics at the intersection of society and strange. Sundays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern at nightdrift.com. This has been Euphemet. I'm Jim Perry. And until next time, keep looking up.